Yeah, because I'm not using my over-ear headphones, I'm using my in-ear noise-canceling ones. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, the big over-ear ones get real hot. Well, you know what they say about hot earphones. They make your hot ears. You get a hot ear. Uh, hot ear, hot ear Fred. Hot ear Fred, brought to you by Dairy Queen. Brought to you by Fraught Rear Dead. <laughs> when you have a hot ear, just put it in our dairy Whoa. Queen. Put a hot ear to this dairy air. Queen? <laughs> you know, why isn't that a... Why wasn't that a slogan, like a saying in the 20s? Oh, I got a hot ear. I don't know. It means I heard something. I, he- I heard something with my hot ear. My hot hearing ear. It's a good thing we're getting this out of our system before we focused content. Everybody and welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name is John. And together we're Henry and John, together again at last for the first time in June. What? It's not June yet. It, well, it will be when you're listening to this, I guess, actually. Exactly. The episode's gonna go up in June, so I thought I might as well look to the future for us. June, of course, the month of lovers. Is that true? Or siblings. Isn't June a Gemini thing? I don't have any idea. I, I don't know anything about June other than that's when June bugs apparently uh, die in my apartment. Nice! Yeah, I found two already, and I'm just like, you guys are early. Stop it. You know, naming, uh, naming June bugs after the month in which they die seems particularly cruel. I think it's just supposed to be when they're... When they like appear on mass, but uh, because of all the pesticides that they spray on the apartment, they just happen to die. Ooh. So, so it's it's not that they die in June. I think it's just they're most active in June, but because they're around domiciles, they're dying. And you know, when you're most active, that's when you're most likely to die. And look at, you know, statistically, it's supposed to be like look at every action movie, but a lot of action heroes are they live through those movies. Most of them, I'd say. Yeah, you're right. Um, so John, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the past few episodes have not been really season two. Uh, they have been uh, non-canon, you say? Uh, I would say they've been non-canon. There are parts that could be canon, because like, I don't know, that chronic Lyme disease segment was pretty, pretty season Mm two-ish. But the rest of it, I I feel like we need to, to get away from that. You mean the uh, the part where we both enter a fugue state? The part where due to my exhaustion and, and you're playing along with, with my exhaustion, where we just, you know, yes and each other into like a weird multi-dimensional fake news hell. You know, uh, I would like to also say that my Renaissance Fair segment clearly season two material. I would agree with that. You know, I, like I said, I don't think they're, they're, we should throw out parts, the, the entire episodes, which is, I guess, why we put them up. But uh, we need to, to rededicate ourselves to the value of season two, 
which of course means super focused content, nail-biting segments, and of course concurrent, I don't know, uh, centralized themes that tie everything together. So we're going to have some FC, some NBS, and some CT. You're, those are all the acronyms that we must hit every episode. Otherwise, why, you know, we ask people to watch us. Watch us. Cut. We ask people to listen to us, and if we're not making it worth their while, then we're wasting their time, and that's not something I can abide. Yeah, I mean, we, we do this as a service to people. Yes, we do this as a service. A service to people, including ourselves. Yes. So, I just, I just wanted to rededicate ourselves to season two. Since, you know, if you want, if you want silly, silliness, go to season one. Yeah, if you want two people throwing shit at a wall to see what sticks, go back to season one. Season two, we've got nothing but, that's right, content. Nothing but content, you know? It's like that basketball, you know, nothing but net, but replace the net with some nail-biting segments. Nail, oh, NBS, nail-biting segments. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, think we might as well get into our first of these nail-biting segments. Oh, uh, well, I think that's a great idea, John. I like the spirit and the moxie of season two that you're putting down. So uh, if you could go ahead and introduce that first time-honored segment for me. Oh, <laughs> I thought you had one. No, 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 the one that we always do. Oh, you want to start with that? Yeah, no, the one where... You want to oh start? God, John, what are we doing? What are we doing, Henry? Is that the segment that you wanted me to introduce? Yeah, exactly. Oh, good. Well, what we're doing right now is pledging ourselves to to uphold the values of Season 2 of Zero Credits. And uh, we've done that, so now we're going to move on to our first nail-biting segment. Yeah, our first nail-biting segment, uh, which is, Henry, did you learn to cook anything? John, I have a story to tell you. Oh. Uh, You see, I, I did, I took... It upon myself to go on a journey, and on this journey, I learned that the real treasure was inside me the entire time. I didn't need to cook anything to fulfill that that what the thing that you wanted me to fulfill because deep inside me, it was already there. So, uh, our promise to our listeners was already inside you. Yes, and. You know, it was music played. It was kind of beautiful. Mm, what kind of music? Uh, it was a slow re- reggae. Oh, slow reggae. <laughs> that does sound like what our listeners... Oh, my God. What happened? There's a cat in my room. <laughs> hi, Maggie. Hi, hi, Maggie. I need to go let this cat out. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> Maybe he died. Maybe that cat killed him. What if we just listened to a murder? That'd be sad. 
Anyway, the cat's gone. Oh, okay. And uh, slow reggae, is that what we left off on? Yes. Slow reggae, that sounds like what our listeners love. Yes, and it was very uplifting and moving, and I, I, I'm i pretty sure uh, the audience would have cried if they saw it. And uh, what a shame, no one will ever see or listen to that, or any content related to it. It's true, um, you know, that's what happens when you have a podcast, but you have to do something off the podcast to fulfill a promise to your podcast listeners? I call that going above and beyond the call of duty. Yes, I would agree with that, and I would give myself five medals. Eight medals. All right, eight medals, you know. Hey, if you're going to twist my arm about it, ten medals. I will take ten. I would have taken eight. I don't know what's happening here. This is like some weird reverse Pawn Stars. (laughs) What if there was a... A Pawn Stars where the guy was just really bad at negotiations. He's like, I'm sorry, the best I can do is like (laughs) $3,000. And the guy's like, it was just a praise for $500. It's like, you're twisting my arm, uh, $4,000, final offer. (laughs) $4,000 to take my shop. (laughs) That's the name of the show is Take My Shop. (laughs) Every episode he loses his shop. Yeah, but but by the next episode he's got a different shop. Oh damn! Yeah, well, he's he's a really good uh, he's good at acquiring stuff, but bad at buying stuff. Wait, that's the same thing. <laughs> hey, look, he he trades for things. Anyway, yes, anyway. Uh, well, well, uh, since you didn't learn to cook anything, I guess we'll talk about something else. Fine. I'll learn to cook something one day, but it just didn't happen this past week. Okay, well, just keep us updated. I will every week. <laughs> We can tune in, and I'll have a different story about how I didn't learn how to cook anything. Every single week. I, uh, I've, I've been embarking on a quest, Henry. You've been embarking on a quest, John? Yes. What kind of quest have you been embarking on? Well, to tell you that story, I've got to tell you a different story. Oh, is this going to be another ring cycle? Uh, yes. Okay. Another, another rinse cycle. Ring cycle. Wagner? Have you ever... Opera? Yeah, man. Ring of the Nibelum? Yeah. Uh, Die Zauberflute? Uh, more German. Uh, German, German? Anyway. Tell me your first story that leads into the second story. So have you ever heard of a little actor named Terry Crews? I have not, actually. He, uh, he's in The Expendables and White Chicks and, uh... I was, I I was thinking C-R-U-Z... But no, oh, no, this is C R E W S. Yeah, Terry Crews. Uh, he recently built his own computer to reconnect with his son. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I know him. He is a kind of a swole polymath. Uh, what is polymath? Uh, like uh, someone who's a master or dabbler in multiple disciplines with an equal ability to learn all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's him. And he's he's a super interesting guy and something that he has done is that he designed his own furniture. He designed his own furniture. He's always been an artist, apparently. Okay. And he has decided to um, try to modernize Egyptian furniture concepts and turn them into a collection of furniture designed solely by him. All right. And they're all sold by Bernhardt Design, which is a really prestigious, uh, like... Interior design company. All right. 
So that in and of itself is very cool. That is very cool. And uh, all I can say is it must be nice to be financially independent so you have time to dabble in all these things. Hey, look, you just have to follow the same mold that Terry Crews did. Become independently uh, good at football. Yeah. And then be a surprisingly good actor. Yeah. And be really funny. Okay. And then star in a bunch of commercials that do very, very well. (laughs) The Old Spice commercials. And then just kind of fuck off and do whatever. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is, you know, just be sculpted from the ground up by the gods. And then be ridiculously talented. And also be outgoing enough to be recognized for all of your talent. So, uh, since I told you that, I can tell you that the second story... Uh, can I venture a guess? Yes. Uh, you're sculpting yourself to look like Terry Crews. Uh, every day. But no, this story is a different story. Oh, okay. It is about the one way in which I am similar to Terry Crews. You also built your own PC to, uh, reconnect with your son. Do not have a son, but I did build my own PC, which is part of the reason why I do not have a son. (laughs) But you're gonna be designing your own furniture? Yes, I have been. I I know about the table that you somehow built without screws. Yeah, that screwless table? Yeah. I I would like to do a quick plug, a quick endorsement, a quick enjoyment. Uh, I will allow it. Now, uh, everyone who listens to this podcast knows of our long-standing feud with Google. I'm sorry, Alphabet Company. Yes. Wait, we have a feud against Alphabet? Yes. I did... Did I know about this? Well, really, I've been holding it up the past few months. Okay. But they won me over. How did they win you over? Feud cancelled. Uh, <laughs> I will alert the, uh, the guard. The, uh, he could finally lower the drawbridge. Exactly, and let Alphabet back in. So, uh, I started messing around with this program called SketchUp. SketchUp. Which is maybe the lowest calorie easiest 3d design program i've ever used okay that sounds pretty interesting and it's used specifically for uh prototyping designs for things that are going to exist in the real world okay so kind of like a cad program yeah it's like really simple cad you know you fire something up and you say oh i want all of my measurements to be in inches or centimeters or millimeters and then you just i mean for instance i was trying to design a table out of one sheet of plywood and it's got the capability to to kind of, like, know your limitations in that regard? I created a rectangle that was 4 by 8 like a sheet of plywood, and then I was able to, in the program, cut it into individual pieces, rearrange them, and make furniture out of it. That sounds really cool. It was very, very cool. I like it quite a bit. No, yeah, it sounds like the type of thing that some people can do in their heads, but other people are like, I gotta see it first. And so then this program would allow you to be able to see it first. Yeah, that's definitely my issue is I can come up with solid ideas, but unless I see it, like the coffee table I made is very nice, but it's very, it's slightly too tall. Oh, yeah? I mean, it's fine. It's just a little too tall. But how, how tall is it? Because I've been in, I've been actually looking for coffee tables recently and like the, the height of the coffee table is my, my biggest sort of issue. Uh, the height off the ground is 18 inches. Alright, so it's that's actually a little bit uh, shorter than I would want. Really? Well, my, the, the seat of my couch comes up to 19 inches, and I want something that 
I don't have to like bend over too much to eat off of because I don't actually have a table at present. Mm. So I'm looking for something between like 19 to 21 inches. And, and of course, they don't really make a lot of coffee tables to that height. So it's been a it's been an interesting search. Just get some blocks to put under it. That actually uh, was one of my suggestions. Uh, but then I kind of put the whole project on hold because I was getting really burnt out on going to furniture shops. You could just build your own. I could. However, I don't know anything about woodworking. Just uh, put some screws on it. But you said you didn't use screws. That's because I know something about woodworking. Oh, so what you know about woodworking is it does the exact information to not use screws. Yeah, screws are for losers. Screwsers, we call them. Did you use, like, interlocking woodwork on your table, or did you actually use screws and I just didn't understand? Well, I used bolts, which are like screws. Okay, gotcha. But uh, my, uh, my entertainment center is just made of interlocking joints. There's no screws there. That's pretty cool. I, I like that kind of uh, design and construction. It's tough, and I will probably never do it again. Well, and you could you did it once. That that's enough, really. That's more the times than most people will do it. There you go. You know, talking about Terry Crews actually made me a little bit thinky. <laughs> oh, did you get thinky? I got a thinky brain. Uh, well, so what? What's up with Terry Crews? So uh, you know how he is very famous and talented. Yes, I I know those. Have you ever noticed that people who tend to be famous and talented and outgoing tend to, at least. We perceive them as having, like, endless amounts of energy. Yeah. I I mean, like, you hear about, like, someone like James Franco and all of the things he's doing at one time. And it's just like, how does he have time for all that in one day? Because is it just a genetic condition to have energy? Because I feel like I'm made tired by most things. I feel like this is a theory of mine, but because we have... I, I really feel like it ties into being independently wealthy. Like, we, they don't have to worry about pretty much any of their expenses. They don't have to worry about where their food's coming from or shelter or anything like that. Whereas, it's kind of like in the back of our minds that we have to continue to work and that work will fund the rest of it. But it's like, since they don't really have to do that, they've got more brain space To think of other things. But, I mean, I suppose my question to that is, if if the assumption is that someone such as a Terry Crews became independently wealthy through applying himself to multiple things, surely he must have had some large store of energy before he became independently wealthy. That's true, too. It's not... It might not be a situation where there's a cart and a horse, and a cart is before a horse, you know? It's not... It might be a chicken and egg thing where it's like... Because he had all of these interests and pursued all of them, and because he was this passionate about what he wanted to do, he was able to succeed to allow to get him to a point where he's independently wealthy. So he might have had that energy all along. It might just be what people call motivation or drive. And I mean, I'm someone who thoroughly believes that you can change the way that you perceive the world relatively easily. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a way for like people like us, like real tired idiots, to become like fonts of energy. You know? Yeah. I, I think it really just you have to find something that you want to pursue that you can be passionate about because, like, I, I you know I haven't been in the corporate world long, but one thing I can tell is that 
I've got no passion for it. And so every day is, is, is like an exhausting struggle. Mm-hmm. But in the moments where I can actually do some of the work that I thought I was hired for and like actually edit people's writing and make it better, I really, you know, I can get into that. And then the time passes faster and I'm not as exhausted. I think maybe we've talked about this before, but you think, and this is purely just a theory, but do you think there might be some inflection point where, let's say, um, someone is working a job for $21 an hour. Okay. And they work at that job, but they really don't care for it, but they work there because it pays. Yeah. And they're not passionate about it, so their passion doesn't show in their work, so they're probably not getting a ton of promotions or raises or compensation otherwise. Yeah. And you compare that to someone who works a job for $10 an hour, and probably, not probably, and in this case really enjoys it and is really passionate about it and really has fun doing it. The person who works for the lesser amount of money but has more fun will probably get more success in the long run. Because if you start at a lower point but you actually enjoy something, wouldn't you put in longer hours? Wouldn't your passion be rewarded? Wouldn't you earn something out of that that maybe, given time, you'd surpass the person making $21 an hour and you'd be happier the entire time? Yeah, and if you don't measure success in like a monetary value, then just the person who's more passionate and therefore putting more hours in is probably already in some degree, more successful than the person working for more money. And I mean, as long as that person is eating and paying the rent, then I guess from the jump, they're going to be more successful. Yeah. I I mean, I think it all just depends on what you place value on in your life. If If your end goal is to just be really great at your job and get the most money that you can, then that's what you should invest time in. If your ju- if your main passion is something else, but you have to pay the bills in the meantime, then it's it's just it's a struggle between you know devoting energy to work and trying to devote energy to the thing that you're passionate about. Yeah, it's like you said, it's it's so much a question of what our worth is because let's say these same two people they wake up two hours before their job starts and. You know, the second they wake up, it's it's all an issue of perception because the person who's going to a job that he hates, uh, hates taking the shower before work, hates shaving, hates brushing his teeth because all of it is ticking off items on a list before he has to go back to the thing he hates. Exactly. You know, uh, the person who wakes up and hates their job, they're gonna they're they're gonna wake up two hours before and think, oh great, two hours. I have two hours to get to my job, and then it's just gonna be a routine of like getting through all of that minutiae, uh, the person who likes their job is going to wake up and they're not going to have that dread. They're going to think this is, they're going to probably going to start thinking about what they want to accomplish that day and how they can effectively do it while going through the routine still, but they're not thinking of the routine. They're thinking of what's coming next. Yeah, because that person would, they'd enjoy the shower because it's going to be part of their day. They'd enjoy the brushing their teeth. They'd enjoy the shaving. Because it's all stuff that's bringing them closer to the thing they enjoy, so when they show up to work, they can't help but be passionate about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- this is a very, you know, uh, dico- this is a, a dichotomy, and certainly, that you know, these aren't the only two people to exist. Certainly, there's, a, you know, it's probably more of a spectrum where a lot of the people fall more into the middle of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
Um, cause you know, I, I, I look at the people around me at, at this corporate job that I work and all I can think since it, this obviously isn't for me, all I can think is how do you do it? How do you, how did, and how does this person bring themselves here every day? And the thing is like, they're content, they're happy with their job. And so that's not a struggle for them. Yeah. Because I, I envy at times people who are in the middle, people who are like, this shower is whatever, this shave is whatever, my job is whatever, because I don't know how it feels to not have dread. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, as a person who perceives himself to be as a, a creative type and a job that should be creative, that's not, it's just kind of like, do cre- can creative types thrive in this sort of environment where it's it's just fundamentally against what it means to be creative? And I think the, the, the answer is, well, there must be a spectrum of creative types and some of them fall into the category of, yeah, that's fine. The nine to five hour grind is what we live for. I think that, uh, you know, everything is, everything is a spectrum. So it, it's unfair for us to be like, oh, you know, there's a creative por- person and a boring person. There's a happy person and a sad person. But I would venture to think that most people are further on the sad side of the spectrum than the happy part. Yeah, I think there's a great de- uh, a great amount of people who get stuck at their jobs because of all the benefits that their jobs afford them. While the work being tolerable... And not joyous, you know, but mm. tolerable is okay for a, a large amount of people. And uh, it's a it's a tough thing because how do you know when you found that job that you're going to be like, oh man, I get to go to work? Well, I, I feel like you would know it within maybe the first few times you go to work. You'd be excited. You'd be anxious. And it, not just for the fact that this is something new and you're learning things. But because you're learning things, you're going to be able to do something that you want to do further down the line. But of course, that then begs the question of, if you currently have a sad person job that pays the rent and gives you benefits, it's very scary to move from that to a job that might make me happy. Yeah, I I mean, so much because of the way our society works, so much is tied into our job. Our health benefits are tied into our job. The ability to afford a place to live and a place to eat is tied into our salary. And a job that where you might like the work more might not pay as much and they might not have as many benefits. So you're, you're, we're talking about an entire life adjustment just for switching a job, which seems kind of – there's something fundamentally wrong about that, but that's just the way society is set up. And I mean it's – it's tough to take the plunge. Is it even worth it? Can you even do it? <laughs> and, like, because we're, you know, I'm going to say we're around the same age, but it's like because we're at this point in our life where it's like we're, we're still young relatively and that, like, we're both working our first, like, major sort of job. But because of that, it seems like it should be easier to jump ship, jump to a different job. But then there's there's the thought that it's like, well, I need to at least get one to two years of experience so that I can be more qualified for better jobs, you know, further on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this weird sort of system where it's like, I have to tolerate this for the meantime, but there's no way in hell I'm going to be here in five years. 
And something that uh, is very scary about this particular time of life, the mid to late 20s, is the job that you're doing right now, your first big job out of college. It's very scary because you have to think, this could be the thing that I do forever. And I don't know about you, but now that I've worked like a, a, a real full-time job where it's like that that's a possibility, my mind immediately said, well, no. This I there's no way I'm gonna be doing this forever, and, and I think there's no way I want to do one thing forever. You know, I think that's a good way to be. It's uh, it's tough to let go of things, even if you don't like them. But sometimes it's for the best. Yeah, in my ideal sort of life, if I can fantasize for a second, I would be like a Terry Crews, where I have a little bit, you know, I, I dabble in a little bit of everything, and hopefully I'm successful. In and some things, and if I'm not, then maybe I'll have something else to fall back on. And you'd also have those pecs. Oh, uh, well, yeah, of course. I would be sculpted like the gods themselves. So, uh, in a classic do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do kind of scenario... Yeah? I would like to say that any of our listeners listening to this who are stuck in dead-end jobs, uh, just go do another thing if you hate it. Yeah, I mean, it could be... It could be as simple as, like, just getting a part-time job for, like, the weekends or something. Not for the money or anything, but just as a way to experience something new. Kind of like what you were trying to do, John. Oh, yeah, by the way, they didn't advance my application. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. But, you know, just getting a look and another type of work can give you the perspective you need. Like, I was in academia for a while, and I I got burnt out on it. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to the real world and, and try see what that's like. And everyone was warning me about, like, it's, it you know, about what it would be like. But uh, I'm of the mindset that I need to kind of experience it for myself. And so now I'm doing that. And now I have the perspective that, hey, maybe I want to go back to academia. Who knows? It's, uh, I mean, you won't know how you feel about any experience in life unless you experience it. You can only theorize so much. And I feel like maybe that's something that, that might, might be more of a millennial mindset where it's like we're we, we're not authorian. We, we don't we don't like people telling us what things are like. We want to be there and experience it for ourselves so we can form our own opinion and then, you know, make decisions based on that. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, it says something to the mindset of our generation that we are the most prolific job hoppers in history. And, you know, I think it's just because the world is so different right now than from previous generations where it's like, we're starting to realize you shouldn't get stuck at a job. Like, that shouldn't be a thing that that should be accepted as normal if you don't want it to be. Yeah, you know, no one's out there looking for a golden parachute right now. What's a golden parachute? A golden parachute is uh, when you've been at a company for a very, very long time and then when you retire, you get like... A gold watch and a retirement bonus and all this stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, ever since the invention of, like, the uh, the IRA, the individual retirement account, your retirement is, like, the one thing that's not tied to the company you work for. And now that you can get, like, a Roth IRA, which is uh, your own, you know, even separate from, like, a program that your company might have ever you can you can jump around in your future you'll still be investing in it you'll still have that financial freedom down the line uh 
But it's like, there's not as much loyalty in that regard. You don't have to wait out for the Golden Watch because your Golden Watch is going to follow you wherever you go. And, uh, yeah, no matter what, listeners, your Golden Watch is going to follow you wherever you go. (laughs) So, like, here's my advice just to wrap up this little conversation a little bit. It's just like, start investing early, start your, your IRA early, and then take it. Take things as they come, but never get tied down. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Don't let yourself be tied down by something you hate. Get tied down by something you like. Yeah. And and that way, you're not even being tied down anymore. You're just committing to a thing that you like. Unless you're into it. Yeah. Unless you like being tied up. Yeah, then, you know, let your freak flag fly. Exactly. So I've got another segment for us. What? When are we going to get to my segment? Oh, yeah, go. Sorry. Well, I don't even know if this is worth talking about anymore. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I had an idea for a segment where I just kind of try to understand current trends that are happening. Oh, and you're coming to me, the trend master? Yes, and I, you know, I, I've done some research on my own and I would love to hear your input, but uh, I don't know what to call the segment. I mean, we can workshop it real quick. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, it doesn't help that my name starts with H and not a lot of things are, like, alliterative with that. Uh, oh, because, so you want to put your name in the name of the... Yeah, well, I don't know. I guess that would be dumb. Okay, so you don't understand trends and you want to understand trends. Yes. Um... Ghostbusting the Zeitgeist. Oh, I like it. Is that is that a good name? Yeah, man. I All right, really like welcome it. to welcome to the segment Ghostbusting the Zeitgeist. Today's topic: fidget spinners. Fidget spinners. Fidget spinners. John, have you heard of fidget spinners? Hell yeah. Why? Why fidget spinners? No. Why have you heard of them? Oh, because they're all over like, the place. They are. They are all over the place. But like. I've, you know, I've got a window pulled up with just, I typed in fidget spinners into Google and I looked at the news, um, the news tab, you know, the tab that nobody uses. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I found several different sources that uh, that say wildly different things about this trend. I, uh, I mean, I have a limited understanding of fidget spinners, but I think I could try to weigh in a little bit. Okay. Well, let's start, let's start with the base idea, like... Explain, not explain, elaborate on your your basic knowledge of fidget spinners. A fidget spinner is a balanced piece of plastic or metal with a ball bearing in the center that you can flick to spin to uh, stimulate yourself. Exactly. You know, people are are touting it out as kind of like a, a way to get out that nervous or bored energy that people have. Like if you know somebody who bounces their leg constantly or, you know, fidgets with stuff. This is a way, an outlet for that they, they purport to allow people to, like, get rid of that energy. I think uh, that energy is also called NEAT. NEAT? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I really forget what NEAT stands for. I thought NEAT was, like, not employed. Uh, I don't remember it. But uh, it's, like, people who lived at home. Non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Oh, that's a different NEAT than I'm aware of. So that that's the basic idea of the fidget spinner, but like, let just listen to these headlines to see how 
how, I guess, varying the opinions of the fidget spinner are. All right. Uh, CNN has a headline that says, The fidget spinner fad, adults don't get it, and that's the point. Oh. And uh, <laughs> the basic idea is that it is a kid's toy. Mm-hmm. It's for children, and, it, you know, it's been banned in s- several schools and stuff. And, it, it, like, apparently adults don't get it. Well, that's interesting. Because you go to Forbes. Where's my Forbes article? Ah, here it is. You go to Forbes and you get an article that says, Fidget spinners are the must-have office toy for 2017. But adults don't get it. Exactly. So, you're already starting to get a bit of confusion between, like, how we as a culture are supposed to be, as a culture, or, like, how how are we supposed to receive this fidget spinner thing? Um, there There's no scientific evidence that it, it helps with focusing or people with ADD or autism. There's no, like, empirical backing. There's there's a few anecdotal examples that, uh, especially kids with autism, it helps them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like we shouldn't mess with something that anecdotally works with kids with autism because, like, that's great if that is true. Um, but so then you can't ban it from schools if kids with special needs need it. <laughs> I mean, I think that, uh, number one, I think that a lot of what people associate fidget spinners with autism with is just the idea of self-stimulation or stimming. Yeah. Which is a thing that uh, people who have autism tend to do where they have uh, certain uh, behaviors that that soothe them that are uh, mentally or physically stimulating. Yeah. And a lot of uh, those people find it relaxing to just have some kind of objects to fidget with or fidget with their own hands. Yeah. Uh, or rocking back and forth as a form of self-stimulation sometimes. Yeah, so this would be a way... This would offer a channel for self-stimming that wouldn't be, like, seen as... I don't want to... Wouldn't be seen as out of place, I guess, for normal society. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a delicate issue to kind of talk around because it's like, you need a way... Because part of, like, part of autism is sort of, like, not understanding social cues and not feeling like you fit in with the rest of society. And if this offers a way for people to sort of focus and and feel as though that they're succeeding at that, whether or not they are or not, because who cares, really, in the grand schemes if people fit into society? Uh, but if it makes them feel as though they do, then we shouldn't be banning it from public areas. And uh, I, I agree with that, but I also don't believe that fidget spinners were developed for this specific purpose. I might be crazy. You are not crazy. In fact, uh, although the origins of, of fidget spinners are kind of and they're kind of as confusing as the purpose of the device itself, because uh, there's a lady in Florida who Wikipedia is claiming is the inventor of the fidget spinner mm. by the name of Catherine uh, Hettinger. But if you look into that story of her as the inventor, uh, she's not the real inventor of the current day fidget spinners. She had a patent on a spinning top toy uh, that expired in nineteen nine. No, that expired in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't even claim herself as the inventor of it, but Wikipedia does, which is interesting. Huh? Yeah. Um, her version of the toy didn't really have, like, uh, the metal b- uh, bearings in it. It was kind of just a flat, kind of almost top-like thing that you would spin around your finger. Oh. I, uh, 
if if I were to be slightly more pessimistic about these things and say that they aren't inherently therapeutic, yeah, I would say that fidget spinners to me are fascinating. Yes, because they are a very simple uh, mechanism. They're the the idea of something centrally spinning around a ball bearing and being equally weighted on multiple sides to uh, maintain motion and resist friction is uh, really very prevalent in machinery. Okay. And I think that it was just a mechanical concept that was used to make a toy. Yeah. And the toy is so simple and so seemingly purposeless that society has put meaning on it where no meaning exists. I mean, that could be, you know, in the same way that like a yo-yo is kind of like, you know, just a, a pulley system in a way that serves no other purpose than to return the, the yo-yo back to the hand. The fidget spinner is just a ball bearing that spins, but it's kind of nifty and cool, and you can sell them for cheap, like average three or four dollars per uh, fidget spinner, unless you're going for the luxury designer fidget spinners that range up to sixty to a hundred dollars. Jesus, I yeah, just like everything, you know, capitalism is seizing uh, a trend. I I really like throughout history. When things like this happen and they seem to uh, short-circuit our consciousness, our, our collective cultural consciousness, where things with seemingly uh, little to no cultural value become very culturally important. Like, for instance, like Pokemon. Yeah. Pokemon was just a video game. It was relatively simplistic, but it had just enough moving parts and was just mysterious enough to people who didn't understand it. That they put all of the meaning in the world behind it. It became a cultural phenomenon and kind of changed the way we think about, like, mascots in popular culture. And I think that there have been pet rocks and things and hula hoops that have done that in the past. They're relatively simple things that are... They they seem to have more going on than they do, so people inject it with meaning. Yeah, and if the, if the real... Explanation is this is just like a, a trendy toy that also happens to have a side effect of helping out people who need help focusing or need help getting out this extra energy, then so be it, you know? If that's all it is, then that's fine. And of course, uh, as society has done with almost all of these things, in the short term, it will be really insufferable because I'm sure there will be like competitive fidget spinning and then fidget spinning will have negative religious connotations. Uh, <laughs> there will be multiple different fidget spinners. They'll turn into a different subset of toy. It's going to ruin the world for the next three years. You know, if if this trend is going to enter the zeitgeist i feel like that's the exact path it needs to take like it, th we have to do the same thing with fidget spinners as like D, D kind of did you know yeah it needs to become something that is so simple but so poignant that it becomes ingrained in our culture in a way that it never should have exactly and the reality is, it's just a bit of plastic spinning around a ball bearing that you can actually make yourself, but it's going to have, if it's going to have this zeitgeist impact, it, we're going to raise it to the level of a, of a demigod. As we do with all things. I'm probably going to buy a fidget spinner sometime this week. I, I've been looking into it, because if nothing else, I like motion, and I like circles, and this is a circle that 
happens to be able to move. I mean, they look like fun. Yeah, if nothing else, it'll give me something to do, because I don't know what to do with my hands when I'm talking to somebody, so often I'll drink from a water bottle just to give my hands something to do. And finally, I'll be enjoying something that adults just don't get. Yeah, according to CNN, but it's also the top office toy, so make sure to bring it into work. And if I could caution our listeners uh, for one thing about fidget spinners, yeah, I would say um, don't hate them, I guess. Don't become one of those people who uh, decides that just because something is popular and in the zeitgeist that you should hate it and everything it stands for, because it's just a piece of plastic with a ball bearing in it. Yeah, of all the things to choose to hate, I don't think fidget spinners is going to be like 2017's item to hate. I feel like that's still coming or is already happening. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think fidget spinners are deserving our hate. Oh. I don't think fidget spinners deserve our hate because it, in the end of the day, it's just like a it's a spinny piece of plastic. It's like that would be like hating a pinwheel. It's like hating a beanie baby. Yeah. Did people hate beanie babies? Oh, I'm sure they did. Just as people hated Pokemon and people hate everything that's popular because you got to Pokemon, you got to w- ride that wave of backlash at some point. I guess people hate they hated on Pokemon Go a bit just because everybody was doing it. But it's just like, I don't know if your options are to take part of a cultural moment or to commentate on it while kind of like not joining in, do the thing that makes you happiest. Yeah. Uh, I I would say do the thing that gives you an experience and doesn't make you less of a person. Yeah, and, you know, also just keep in mind that people are allowed to like things. Yeah, people can like whatever they like. Yeah, don't hate on fidget spinners, don't hate on sports, don't hate on video games. Just don't hate on activities that people choose to do in their free time unless the activity in some way uh, hurts somebody else. Yeah, no. Well, uh, unless the person being hurt is into it, we've already covered that. Yeah, I just mean like you know to don't you you, you can you can try to intervene on somebody who's like an alcoholic that that's that that's something that can happen. Yeah, for sure. But we don't need to have any interventions about fidget spinners unless like someone is spending a thousand dollars on a fidget spinner. Man, I went on a fidget spinner bender. <laughs> oh man. I threw up all over the place. (laughs) I passed out and I woke up covered in fidget spinners. Most of them were still spinning. Something about the name fidget spinner, I don't know what it is, but it sounds vaguely offensive. Yeah, it sounds... (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like the word fidget. (laughs) Yeah, and like fidget spinner sounds... I don't know, something about it is just like, is that a slur? Should we not be saying that? It sounds like something that the guards would call you in Thief 2. Yeah, it's, you know, keep it moving, fidget spinner. Quit faffing about, fidget spinner. Have you been playing a lot of Thief 2? No, I just will always remember it. Okay. So yeah, that was a ghost busting the zeitgeist on fidget spinners. I guess the, the takeaway from that is it's... It's a simple toy that might have some other beneficial side effects. It's not going to cure any anyone, uh, but if it's given some people some good good vibes, let's let's just let's let it ride. Yeah, let that fidget spinner ride. I think that was a good segment. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm happy how that turned out. You know what gives me joy? What gives you joy, John? Uh, an additional segment. Uh are you is it the segment that I think it is? That's right. 
What did you watch? Yes. Let's bring back what did you watch out of the old time vault. Creep. And uh, I forgot, we for, we forgot to oil the time vault. Creek. Sorry, I had to close it. Yeah. Uh, so what did you watch? Uh, everybody knows this segment, but for those of you who don't know, this is where we, we talk about things we, dis- we, we discuss. No. We discuss things that we experience with our eyes, nose, mouth, and ears. <laughs> what am I saying? And ears, but not solely our ears. That's true. So not music, unless it's a music video and no podcasts, because this is the only podcast that exists. Unless it's like a visual podcast. That's just called a show. Oh, shit, you're right. You know what is also a show? Uh, how about we, we, we say it at the same time? Oh, good. That's so much easier with Skype. Yeah, here we go. Are you ready? It's called... You've got to fix that in post. I'm going to fix the hell out of that. So the show is Master of None. Uh, created by Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang. Yang. Alan Yang. Is it Alan? Alan Yang? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, why don't you walk us through it? It is a Netflix original series uh, starring the aforementioned Aziz Ansari and a bunch of other people. <laughs> and it uh, just kind of... It's it's hard to describe this show without making it sound trite, but it chronicles the life of a young, early 30s actor in New York City. Yeah. Played by Aziz Ansari. Of course. And every every episode is uh, presented to have an overall theme. And maybe my favorite thing about Master of None is that it's kind of a huge framing device to present a different idea each episode, which then turns into a overall narrative over the course of a season. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I watched season one a while ago and... My takeaway from it was like, this is pretty okay, but I don't, yeah, it's, I probably won't watch season two. And? And, uh, well, I ended up watching season two, and I'm glad I did, because season two, it's like season one, they were really focused on Dev and his, his, per, like, just his situation in life and his situation with Rachel. Is it Rachel? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. Just like, it, I feel like, it didn't do as much exploration of a theme as it could have because it got too tied up in the in the narrative. And uh, the uh, I really liked season one because even though it did uh, kind of have a lot of a focus on Dev, I thought that it tackled some really uh, interesting things because there's an episode called Parents. Parents is probably the best episode in that season. Just to give people who are listening kind of an idea about how smart this show can be, uh, the entire... I guess, uh, gimmick of the episode Parents. It uh, begins with Aziz Ansari's father asking him to fix his iPad or something. And then Aziz, Dev, uh, is the character he plays. Uh, Dev then says that he's going to go see an X-Men movie and can't fix his iPad. And then it flashes back to the father's past in India, showing these small vignettes leading up to him, uh, his his wife giving birth to Dev, and then Dev immediately saying, you know, I can't fix your iPad because I have to go see an X-Men movie. And it throws yeah. into very stark relief how ungrateful 
uh, people in your life can seem given all that you've given up for them. Yeah. Now, like, one thing I think the show does really well is, you know, with some comedies out there, with some shows out there, when you write and direct and star in it, you have the tendency, like, this character's going to be invincible. He's not going to be ever perceived as being the bad guy in a situation. But I feel like one of the best things about the show is Anziz is just so honest with the character and the, the events. Like, sometimes he's an asshole. But the show explores why he's an asshole, mm-hmm. and by the end of the episode, he, he might redeem himself in some way, but it, it's like, it really allows the character, or the, like, the dramatic irony of the situation to play out in a way that's just brutally honest. And something that uh, really gets to me about the show in a good way is that all the dialogue is written in such a way, and a good portion of it is improvised. I did not know that. From what I understand, the way that uh, Aziz Ansari interviewed interviewed uh, would get people to audition for the show is they would do an hour-long audition with him where most of the dialogue was improvised, but they were supposed to hit certain high points. Okay. And the, the way the dialogue is presented overall in the show is almost supernaturally matter-of-fact. Yeah. It, it almost feels like you're watching a show in a different language because they tend to say things exactly as they are with a, with a level of prescience that's really not normal, but it makes the dialogue very fun to watch because it's very unpredictable. Yeah. If you feel like you're watching real people, you don't feel like you're watching people who are on a TV show, you know, as kind of i don't know paradoxical as that is and it's almost the it almost falls out of the fact that the show has so little time to explore so many ideas that they can't really waste time with characters beating around the bush and being like i'm not sure how i feel characters have to be like this is how i feel right now and i'm telling you so that we can explore how this works yeah and one thing that season two does very well uh, is that it kind of slows down a little bit to allow things to stew, to allow themes to be explored more deeply. And uh, it, it kind of distanced itself in some episode from Aziz and Dev, just to kind of, so you're not so much focused on the character of Dev, you're not distracted by that, but you're really just watching these things unfold in a way that's just kind of silently brilliant. And this this show is... Uh... In terms of cinematography, just gorgeous. Oh yeah, no, that like that's one of the things that I think brought me back to it was just it's it's visually striking, and it's one of the most creatively uh, pregnant shows uh, currently airing because almost every scene has some kind of creative energy put into it that you don't feel you'd see in other shows. Like there's a there's one episode that opens with a very long single take of two characters walking down a hallway and through an environment talking about the movie unfaithful yeah and it's just it's it's very good it's very well shot and it's very funny a lot of the cold opens for the shows are probably like my favorite part because they're 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 kind of all sort of experimental a lot of them are one shot and it's just two two people or two two or more people just like either setting up a situation or setting up the theme for the episode, but it, it all just feels so striking and natural. And it all comes to, I mean, the the arc from about the middle of the season to the end of the first season 
is some of the most poignant commentary on how it feels to be in a long-term relationship I've ever seen. Yeah. And it explores all of it very matter-of-factly and very completely. And it talks about and deals with relationships in a way that I'm not sure I've ever seen on television. Yeah, and, and you know, so, some people would call it a comedy. Um, I would say it's more of just like a slice-of-life literary fiction kind of show. Because it's just like each episode is a short story that happens to explore a theme. And there is a slight comedic take on it, but I, I don't find it laugh-out-loud funny. It's just funny in a way that makes you think. Yeah, it's it's passively funny. It's like sharp exhalation of breath from the nose funny. And, uh, you know, the first season when it came out got a lot of praise, which might have been one of the reasons why I was kind of poised to not like it. But I didn't see any reviews about season two, but it's just season two knocks it out of the park, man. I can't wait to start watching season two because I've only seen a one episode. And, I mean, you can already tell from that one episode that things are a little bit they feel different, right? Oh, that that first episode is like a short film to me. That first episode is so good. Yeah. I did just oh. wait just wait for the episode uh New York I love you. That's a really great episode. And apparently, uh so much of the second season is very much inspired by classic Italian cinema. That explains a lot actually uh apparently uh the last episode is like a love letter to a very specific italian movie which i shall not name uh, i actually haven't finished the last episode yet mm. i was halfway through that is why i shall not name it good don't name it because it's the godfather that's not an italian film. jesus christ that's a film about italians you're right different thing <laughs> that's a different concept but no, uh, Master of None. It's on Netflix. Uh, I the only I really don't have a bad thing to say about it, other than I feel like they really hit a better stride in season two. It's super digestible, and I highly recommend it. And you know, in, in a world full of like forty minute to an hour long dramas, it's nice to have just like a thirty minute bite sized kind of thing you can experience, digest, and you know, move on with your life. Yeah, if you can have 30 minutes give you the same emotional impact as an hour, you just got what I like to call a time savings. Time, time, time savings. Savings for your time. It's like daylight savings time, but on a more personal level. Personal daylight savings time. Yeah. Oh boy, sorry, I got real distracted. Focused content, John. Focused content. Uh... Um. But I think that might do it for uh, this this rededication episode to season two. We renewed our vows. We renewed our vows to bring you more focused content. And I would like to think that if we didn't succeed, we're at least on the right path for how we want to take this podcast in the future. And if you've stopped listening uh, because of the weird funk we were in, I guess we'll never win you back. Because there's no way that you'll hear this. There's not there's not really much room for second chances in this world of 30 minute episodes of like that, that of hard hitting dramatic tension and comedy. So uh, yeah, we if we lost any viewers, they're gone forever. Oh well, I guess we'll get new ones. Yeah, that's look, Japan's still in, so let's let's just keep trucking for them. Let's just bet big on Japan. Put it all on Japan. So if you want to put it all on Japan, you can tweet at us. At ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. That stands for Zydeco Cal Prince. 
Capsize what humid jars. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's what that stands for. Yeah, that is exactly what that stands for. And if you want to reach us on an email, email us at zerocreditsisapodcast at gmail.com. Send us your corrections, your angers, your huddled masses. Uh, Lend us your ears and lend us your rears. I knew you were going to say lend us your ears. I knew it. So lend us your hot ears. Your hot ears and your hot masses. Hot ma- God damn it. Uh, we're also on Facebook. All you got to do is search the Zero Credits Podcast on Facebook. And if you do that, click around. Click on things. If you click on things, you're more likely to see stuff pop up in your news feed. That's how Facebook works. You got to interact for you to be able to see it. Yeah, man. And you should uh, tell your friends about us. Please give us a rating on iTunes, because it is the only way for us to get a following. And uh, if you're saying, oh, you already got your Japanese following, well, that's fine and dandy. We love them, but we could always use more people behind the wheel. Are we on Stitcher? Uh, We still need to have a a private conversation about Stitcher. I look forward to this private conversation. Or, you know what, Maybe, maybe next week, let's make a promise here. Next week on the podcast, we'll discuss Stitcher and whether or not we should be on it. Wait. What? Are are you saying that we need to form the Zero Credits Committee? Yeah, a committee? What? It's just going to be me and you, though. Yeah, that's the Zero Credits Committee. It's when we make decisions. Yeah, well, we will form the Zero Credits Committee next episode, and the topic on hand is Stitcher. I think that sounds like a good one to me. And we play video games. And so, you can find us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash zero credits. That's right, no one had taken that name. We're playing Borderlands 2 right now. And uh, we don't really have a set schedule for that, but uh, just if you follow us on Twitch or if you follow us on Twitter, you can find out when we're going live. Catch us when you catch us on the Flippy Flop. Catch us if you can, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Catch Carmen Sandiego. Goodbye, everybody. Catch. Catch Pac-Man Fever. Master of the universe. Say bye, John. Oh, hey, bye. Oh, bye, hey. Bye. I'm a singing a high voice. Ooh.